Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. Good morning. Welcome to those joining us today. And today is today, regardless of when you're watching this. My name is Sean Ogilvie, and I'm one of the pastors here at LWCC. We've been in a series entitled Woke. And for the past few weeks, we've been looking at different dreams that happen in the Bible and what we can or should learn from them, how we can apply them to our lives today. If you missed any of the past week's messages, please, after this message is done, go to our YouTube page and check them out. I promise you they'll bless you. Today, I want to talk a little bit about control, or rather, the lack of control, in a message called Woke, When Life Seems Out of Control. How many of you like to be in control of things? Now, now before you get all righteous on me, talking about Jesus is my pilot, or Jesus, you take the wheel, I'm just here for the ride, I'm talking about the practical, everyday side of being in control of things. As a parent committed to your kids, you try to protect them and control their environment. But does that always work? No, it doesn't. You can't control the people that they'll interact with, and you certainly can't control the culture that influences them every day. You work hard. You try to live the right kind of life and make smart choices, but things don't always work out. You mind your own business. You treat people right. You're a stand-up guy or a stand-up gal. But even today, there might be one person or one hazard or one difficult situation that is a continuing threat to you. So let me say it again. How many of you like to be in control of your situation. I know there's a lot of hands going up right now. Well, enter the year 2020, and you'd have to be living under a rock to not know that this year has been anything but normal. The year started off with a bunch of Australian bushfires, and I say a bunch of, but it burned 47 million acres and killed 34 people in Australia. There's been wildfires all over the west coast of the U.S. There's been tropical storms and hurricanes in different parts of the U.S., probably to the magnitude we've never seen before in certain areas. The coronavirus pandemic, probably don't need to say much about that, but that definitely took us all by by surprise. And even to this day, we're still learning new things about it and trying to navigate what life looks like. There's been BLM protests along with other political uprisings happening all over this country and all over this world. This has not been a normal year. So many unexpected things have happened, but guess what? The year isn't even over yet. There's more opportunity for stuff to happen. I say that jokingly, but with all that has happened this year, it wouldn't surprise me if something else happens. And when we look at all that's going on, I think it's easy to scratch your head or maybe to shake your head 
and feel like things are really just out of control. Amen? Last week, we looked at a dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had in the book of Daniel. And today we're back to the book of Daniel and another dream that the same king had. But let me first set the stage for you here. Daniel 4 is where we studied last week. And in Daniel 4, Nebuchadnezzar summons all the wise men and the enchanters and tells them about a dream he has, and none of them are able to interpret that dream. Daniel, who was the chief of the magicians, then came in and he was able to interpret the dream for the king. Taking it a step back to chapter 3, that's where you're going to find the story of the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who would not bow down to the king's statue. And as a result, they were thrown into the fiery furnace. You remember that story. Skipping back two chapters to chapter 1 now, this is where you see that King Nebuchadnezzar, who is the king of Babylon, takes over Judah. And now all of the Hebrews, all the Israelites are enslaved um, to the Babylonians. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were to be trained in the way of the Babylonian kingdom. Chapter 1 is where we see them reject the king's choice foods in favor of their own vegetable diet. The scripture also tells us that whenever the king spoke with them, he found them to be 10 times more knowledgeable, 10 times more wise than his own magicians and enchanters. You can read chapter 5 where the Lord literally uh, writes on the wall in front of the king. And then chapter 6, which most of us probably know the story, is when Daniel is schemed against and thrown into the lion's den. But for today, we're not going to be focusing on that. We're going to be focusing on chapter 2 of the book of Daniel. And this is where King Nebuchadnezzar is actually having his first dream. So the one we saw last week was his second dream. This is actually his first dream. Daniel 2, 1 through 13. One night during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep. He called in his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers, and he demanded that they tell him what he had dreamed. As they, as they stood before the king, he said, I have had a dream that deeply troubles me, and I must know what it means. So right here, we already see that King Nebuchadnezzar is a guy that's used to being in control. And already, there's something that's knocking him off of this, this, this state of being in control. He's used to being in control of everything, probably even his dreams. Verse 4, then the astrologers answer the king in Aramaic, long live the king. Tell us the dream and we will tell you what it means. But the king said to the astrologers, I'm serious about this. If you don't tell me what my dream was and what it means, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. Now, if, you re if you're understanding what's going on here, it just got real. I mean, there's a grasp for control going on here by the king. 
Verse six. But if you tell me what I dreamed and what the dream means, I will give you many wonderful gifts and honors. Just tell me the dream and what it means. This is to me a, a clear cry out for desperate out in desperation. He's trying to deliver some incentive, some motivation, because he needs some sort of answer. Please just tell me what the dream is and what it means. He's crying out. Verse six, verse seven. Then said again, they said again, please, your majesty, tell us the dream and we will tell you what it means. The king replied, I know what you're doing. You're stalling for time because you know I am serious when I say if you don't tell me the dream, you are doomed. So you have conspired to tell me lies, hoping I will change my mind. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar at this point seems to be bugging out. He's, he is wiling out right now. But the next words that he utters say a lot, right? But tell me the dream and then I'll know that you can tell me what it means. If you can tell me what the dream is, I can trust that you know what the dream means as well. You see, the level of disturbance from that dream that he must have been feeling, the level of torment from the dream was enough that he needed to do all he could to be sure that he accurately knew exactly what the dream meant. Verse 10, the astrologers replied to the king, no one on earth can tell the king um, his dream and no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter or astrologer. The king's demand is impossible. No one except the gods can tell you your dream, and they do not live here among people. We'll come back to that later. Verse 12, the king was furious when he heard this, and he ordered that all the wise men of Babylon be executed. And because of the king's decree, men were sent to find and kill Daniel and his friends. So there's so much to this text already. What we've just covered, there's so much to this. And we haven't even gotten to the dream yet, all right? But a couple points that I want you guys to, to realize from the text, which still apply to us today. When you lose control, emotions can get the best of you. And when you lose control, it is easy to become irrational. That seems very clear with King Nebuchadnezzar, but the same is true for us today. Moving on. Here is where Daniel enters the scene. He's the Hebrew boy, right? He's now a refugee after the Babylonian takeover. He's an intern learning the ways of the Babylonian empire and um, doing his best to survive, but at the same time, honor his God. And now he finds himself caught up in events totally beyond his control. And why? And why? Daniel wasn't the cause of the king's troubled mental state. He wasn't the cause of the reason the king couldn't sleep or that the fact that he had troubled dreams. Daniel didn't do any of that. He had no control over the king's enchanters or sorcerers or astrologers. Yet Daniel's life is in danger. Why? Catch this, because of the failures 
of others. Daniel finds his life in danger because of the failures of others. And it may not, and it may not be as extreme as your life being on the line, but I'm curious, has anyone ever been there? When the failures of other people cause problems for you. The failures of other people cause problems for you. I know I'm talking to somebody out there. And here's the honest truth that you may not like to hear. Despite all of our efforts, you can't control being in control. Did you hear me? No matter how hard you try, you can't control being in control. It seems that Daniel can do nothing about his situation and his very life is in danger, the life of him and his friends. And I don't think we would blame Daniel at this point if he was to panic a little bit. If Daniel was to say, God, what's going on? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? Or maybe if he lashed out at the men who, who came to look for him. But what does Daniel do? He would have been justified probably doing any one of those things. But what does Daniel do? How does Daniel response, respond? Verse 14. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. He kept his cool. He kept a level head. If we could allow that to sink in just for a quick second, keeping your cool, keeping a level head. I've heard it say, said before that, you know, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason because we should be listening first before we talk. Sometimes we just need to kind of keep our cool, keep a level head. But how many times do we feel threatened and respond over the top right away? How many times do we go from zero to 100 just like that. How many times do we feel that we've been wronged and we lash out? How many times has someone said something and you've given them a piece of your mind? And you know what PR always says, be careful giving people a piece of your mind. You just might need that piece. Daniel responded with wisdom and discretion, the Bible says. Verse 15, he asked Arioch, why has the king issued such a harsh decree? So Arioch told him all that had happened. Daniel went at once to see the king and requested more time to tell the king what the dream meant. I'm going to read that again. Daniel went at once to see the king and requested more time. Daniel went at once to see the king. How many of you know that some conversations are best had face-to-face. -face. Daniel didn't ask Arioch to deliver the message for him, right? He didn't decide to call King Nebuchadnezzar or send him a text and say, hey, king, you know, I want to talk to you. He didn't go to the king's Facebook page and leave some sort of post. What does it say he did? He went at once to see the king. Folks, when life seems out of control, a wise person understands that although he might not be able to control the situation, he can control how he responds to the situation. 
Our response in situations is an indicator of our character. Did you hear me? The way we respond in different situations is an indicator of our true character. Take a quick self-check of how you respond. Just think right now, something, the last thing that upset you. And how did you respond when something doesn't go your way? Do you just give up? I didn't get my way. I just give up. Or do you maybe only put out half the effort you would have put in otherwise if you got your way or if things went the way you planned it to go? Do you just grumble and complain? Don't put up your hand if that's you. Do you drag other people in and start a coup? Can you believe what these people did? Can you believe what they said? They think that their idea is better than ours. No. Or do you focus on what needs to be done and do the same thing as if it was being done your way with excellence to the best of your ability? Daniel wanted to better understand. He wanted to get the facts and know the details. Let me say that again. Daniel wanted to get the facts and know the details. Sometimes we need to not get lost in feelings, not get lost in emotions and focus on getting the facts, getting the real data. Daniel knew it was important to properly understand the problem before looking for the solution. Did you hear me? He knew it was important to figure out and understand the problem before you start looking for the solution. Let me continue on in verse 17. Then Daniel went home and told his friends. So mind you, this is after he's been told of what the plan is by the king's executioner. Okay? Then Daniel went home and told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and, and Azariah, who we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, told them what had happened. He urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. That night, someone say that night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. He said, praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in darkness, though he is surrounded by light. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. You have told me what asked of you. You have told me what we asked of you and revealed to us what the king demanded. Praise God for that. God answered that in a big, big, big way. Now you got to notice something here though. Did Daniel keep this to himself? The Bible says that Daniel went home and he told his friends. No, he didn't keep it to himself. He told his friends and he urged them. He urged them to ask God to tell them the secret as well. Daniel understood that no man is an island, that we were not called to walk this walk alone, that you can't do it by yourself, that it takes a team effort. He understood 
that as children of God, all of us are better than any one of us. Daniel got that. He wasn't looking for the credit or the glory, urging each of them to ask God and see if God would talk to one of them. And when God spoke to Daniel and revealed the secret, Daniel responded by praising and glorifying God. He didn't forget to acknowledge where the source of knowledge and power came from. Amen? That was the right response. That was the right response. Let's pick it up in verse 27. Daniel's been brought before King Nebuchadnezzar at this point. Daniel replied, There are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. Let me say that again. He said to the king, There is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now I will tell you your dream and the visions you saw as you lay in your bed. Verse 29, while your majesty was sleeping, you dreamed about coming events. He who reveals secrets has shown you what is going, what is going to happen. And it is not because I am wiser than anyone else that I know the secret of your dream, but because God wants you to understand uh, what was in your heart. In your vision, your majesty, you saw standing before you a huge shining statue of a man. It was a frightening sight. The head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its belly and thighs were bronze. Its legs were iron. And its feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. As you watched, a rock was cut from a mountain but not by human hands. It struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing them to bits. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. Then the wind blew them away without a trace, like chaff on a threshing floor. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain, that covered the whole earth. That was the dream. Now we will tell the king what it means. Your majesty, you are the greatest of kings. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. He has made you the ruler over all the inhabited world and has put even the wild animals and birds under your control. You are the head of gold. That represents the Babylonian empire. Verse 39. But after your kingdom comes to an end, another kingdom inferior to yours will rise to take your place. That represents the Mede Persian empire. After that kingdom has fallen, yet a third kingdom represented by bronze will rise to rule the world. That represents the Macedonian Empire. Following that kingdom, there will be a fourth one, as strong as iron. That represents the Roman Empire. That kingdom will smash and crush all previous empires. 
just as iron smashes and crushes everything it strikes. The feet and toes you saw were a combination of iron and baked clay, showing that that this kingdom will be divided like iron mixed with clay. It will have some of the strength of iron, but while some parts of it will be as strong as iron, other parts will be as weak as clay. This mixture of iron and clay also shows that these kingdoms will try to strengthen themselves by forming alliances with each other through intermarriage, but they will not hold together just as iron and clay do not mix. So the details of the statue that I just went over, really, they aren't important all in within themselves. But in his dream, a rock comes into vision. And that's the important part that we need to, we need to understand and focus on. And when that rock hit the statue, the Bible says that the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, and the clay all broke into tiny pieces and were blown away with the wind leaving no trace of them behind. Let's talk a little more in, in, in relative terms. You see, the earth has seen very, very, very powerful kingdoms, quite a number of powerful kingdoms, but each of their reigns have or will pass away eventually. Rome, Nazi Germany, the USSR, the good old United States. But the rock, someone say the rock. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the earth. What does that rock represent? Well, in the dream, it says the rock was cut from the mountain, but not by human hands. And it became a huge mountain huge mountain itself filling the entire earth. Verse 44, during the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. Somebody say God's foundation is unshakable. Amen. His kingdom will reign forever. Reading on, it will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness and it will stand forever. Verse 45, that is the meaning of the rock cut from the mountain, though not by human hands that crushed to pieces the statue of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The great God was showing the king what will happen in the future. The dream is true and its meaning is certain. Now, from our perspective as Christians, we can see that the kingdom that fills the earth and endures forever is the kingdom of God. And Jesus is the king who reigns over it. Folks, God's kingdom will reign forever. And he's always in control. Did you hear me? Despite what you see going on, despite how you feel, despite what anyone else says, he is always in control. He always has been. He always will be in control. Revelation eleven fifteen says this. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices shouting in heaven. 
The world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the church said, Amen. Now, earlier when we read Daniel, Daniel 2, verse 11, I said we come back to that. Let me, let me remind you what it said. It said the king's demand is impossible. No one except the gods can tell you your dream, and they do not live here among people. I find this verse very ironic. Why? Well, because Nebuchadnezzar's wise men, when they said that, they spoke the truth of what they knew. But if they only knew, did you hear me? They spoke the truth of what they knew. But if they only knew, you see, just like us, Daniel didn't serve a distant God. Yeah, he's the creator of the universe and everything in it, all the planets, the sun, the moon, the stars, <clears throat> the animals of the ground, everything we see, he created. But that same creator of the universe, this same almighty one, the Bible tells us is also closer than a brother. That's pretty com that should be pretty comforting. That the God of the universe is also closer than a brother. Listen to me. When things seem out of control, when it feels like nothing can go your way, when it feels like the deck is stacked against you, you can't get a grip on life, there is one. There is one, and his name is Jesus. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. Yet sometimes the, the dazzling statue looms large. The statue, you know, the political or economic or cultural powers that can tower over us. And they tower over the powers that we have in ourselves. Or maybe the statue is a lot closer to home than that. Maybe the statue is the guy or the gal who runs things at your workplace. Maybe it's the group at school that can destroy your confidence. Maybe the statue is strongholds or spiritual darkness that's constantly battling and trying to overcome us. Church, let me encourage you that the eyes of faith see something else. The eyes of faith don't see that statue. The eyes of faith see the rock that's coming and crushing the powers before it, filling the whole earth. And as I come to a close today, verse 46 says this, then King Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and worshiped him. And he commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burnt incense before him. The king said to Daniel, truly your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings. He said, truly your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries for you have been able to reveal this secret. Listen up. When our lives seem to be out of control and the kingdoms 
and the powers of the world loom large. We have an even greater vision than Daniel, you and me. We have an even greater vision than Daniel. We have a vision of our Lord Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, overcoming every power and authority to establish a kingdom that will fill all things and endure forever. Ephesians 1:19. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. Do I have any believers out there today? This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader. Let me say that again. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. I don't think that misses anything. He is over everything, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church and the church in his body. Sorry. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ. Say I'm complete in Christ. Amen. Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. John 16, 33 here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus speaking. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know what struggle you might be facing today. I don't know what statue is trying to oppress you and make you feel as if you have no choice but to bow to it, surrender to it. I don't know if you're having a hard time making heads or tails of what's going on, but regardless, I know the answer, and his name is Jesus. It doesn't matter what the problem is. I know the answer, and his name is Jesus. I feel it only fitting to coin one of PR's phrases, as it is so true. Regardless of what it may look like, things aren't falling apart. They are falling into place. And God is still on his throne. Now, I would be remiss if I assume that everyone under the sound of my voice today already has a relationship with our creator, the creator of the universe, the one who's closer than a brother. And if you don't, I want to give every single person that opportunity because it's the most important thing that you could ever do in your life. I want to give you an opportunity to start that relationship right now. Or perhaps maybe you've already, you've already surrendered your life to, to, to the Lord, but you know you've strayed away. You know you're not where you need to be. I want to give you that opportunity as well to recommit your life and come back home. And if you fall into either of those two categories, I'm going to lead you in a, a very simple prayer. And just right now, in the quietness of wherever you are, you might be watching from your living room or from your bedroom or, or um, in the kitchen. It doesn't matter where you are. If, if that's the condition of your heart, if the Lord is speaking to you right now, I'm going to ask you to just go ahead and bow your, bow your heads and close your eyes.
and say something like this. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be called your friend. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to have a relationship with you. God, I see the example in your word of Daniel and Father, how he knew where to turn when he needed answers. Father, I see the faith that he exhibited. Father, but I also see that you are a God who answers. I see that you are a God who hears. I see that you are a God who delivers. I see that you are a God who cares for your people. Father, I thank you for that. Lord, for anyone who does not have a personal relationship with you, I pray that they would, they would feel you tugging at their hearts right now. And I would encourage anyone who, who's feeling that and wants to respond to say something like this, Lord, I admit that I am a sinner. I know I cannot do this without you. Lord, please come into my heart, come into my mind, consume me. I surrender my life to you. Father, from this day forward, I will do my best to live my life following your example and being obedient to you. Father, change me from the inside out. Help me to focus my mind on the things that matter and not get distracted by the statues. I honor you, I praise you, and I thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And we all said... Amen. Amen. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.